Hey there, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with interesting people in direct consumer e-com and tech. I'm your host, Tim. So this is series two of 2021, and the subject I'll be exploring is something close to my heart, food and drink. Over the next six episodes, I'll sit down with leaders and innovators in the food and drink space to get their state of play, learnings from 2020, and predictions for this year and beyond. On this episode, I chat with Fionn Hart, UK country manager at Flipdish, a Dublin-based digital food ordering platform. We discuss the challenges of remote hiring, taking on the big food delivery apps, the power of customer advocacy, their recent 40 million euro investment round, predictions for direct-to-consumer food in 2021, and getting comfortable with worst-case scenarios. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Fion, how are you, mate? I'm really good. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. And wh- wh- where, where, where are you coming to me from? I am in the Flipdish London office, so uh, just outside Shoreditch. Great. Um, and is it uh, a full office? Is it an empty office? What, what's your kind of like, yeah, in-person footprint like at the moment? It's kind of somewhere in between. So we're, we're very much leaving it up to the team and what they feel comfortable with, uh, what works best for them, what they want to do. Um, so yeah, we have some days where the office is pretty full. Uh, we have others where there's only one or two of us in here. But um, yeah, you know, we're in one of these co-working spaces. And I think more broadly speaking, you know, outside of our four walls in, in the building itself, it's getting more and more busy by the day, which is personally, I think, very nice to see. Very interesting. Yeah. And is there a bit of a buzzer? Because, yeah, I was up in Clerkenwell the other day and it was like, it felt like, yeah, slightly uh, like regenerative, regenerative, regenerative. It felt like there was way more people around the place. There is, there's more people, there's more energy, there's uh, a bit of noise in the corridors, which is, uh, which is really nice to hear again. I think, you know, I personally really enjoy being in an office around people kind of feeling that energy, that buzz that you get from people. So yeah, it's, it's a really good place to be at the moment. I want to, well, I usually start with a bit of a rewind um, and, I, and I'd like to sort of do that here. So can you give me a little bit of insight into your journey before Flipdish? Yeah, sure. So um, after I graduated from uni, I joined uh, the world of finance. So joined a, a big private bank uh, where I did a number of different roles. Um, one was you know, working with a team where we effectively advise successful entrepreneurs on how to invest their money, um, which is actually you know, under the hood a really, really interesting role because you met so many interesting people. Everyone you met had a great story to tell about how they had become successful. Uh, looking back on it though, I do think it gives you a slightly rose-tinted view of the world of entrepreneurship because um, we never met the ones that failed. It was only the ones <laughs> that had been, had been massively successful and now you know, looking back on everything they'd achieved. But uh, definitely opened my, world, my, my eyes, I guess, to the world of entrepreneurship. Um, and then moved around there. I did a couple of strategy roles as well. And um, so did that for about five or six years. 
and then kind of had to uh, scratch that itch to give my own thing a go. So me and a good friend of mine went off and started up our own kind of gig economy uh, e-commerce play. Um, so managed to do that for a couple of years, raised a small seed round, grew the company, um, did some really cool stuff, uh, but ultimately just couldn't get, I guess, like a lot of marketplace founders find. You get one side of the marketplace working re really well. You know, it's a well-oiled machine. Mm. And the other side, you just struggle to really hit that that scale that you need. So that's kind of the, the, the barrier that we fell into. So I did that for two years. Um, no regrets. Came out a bit battered and bruised the other end, but kind of ready for my next thing. Um, and that's when I was approached by Ola. So Ola um, is India's largest ride-hailing company. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. India's version of Uber. And about two years ago now, uh, they embarked on international expansions. So they went over to Australia and then came to the UK. Yep. Uh, so I joined as part of the, the founding team in the UK to launch that across the country. So again, did a, a bit of a generalist, did a number of roles there, chief of staff, uh, and ended up in business development. Um, but yeah, it taught me loads of interesting things that I think mainly just that scaling piece, you know, how to rapidly scale something from zero uh, to a hundred in a short period of time. Um, so yeah, I did that for two years. Then COVID happened. Um, if people are locked away in their houses, not many are taking taxi journeys. So um, <laughs> no, they're not. Wasn't wasn't the best time to be in ride hailing. Um, so yeah, I had a bit of time out and then met the guys at Flipdish and in August last year joined Flipdish. That's quite the journey. And I suppose let's 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 focus then on 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 the, the present. So Flipdish, can you give me a bit more insight? So you know, what's the mission? How does it work? And and, and where you're at right now? Sure. So I guess the mission is to help hospitality businesses thrive online. Um, so what we are is we are a D to C online ordering, marketing, and analytics software tool for the hospitality industry. Uh, so what that means is. We work with everything from large hotel chains, um, multinational restaurant groups, all the way through to some of your favorite independent restaurants. Um, and increasingly, really interestingly, working with a lot of uh, dark kitchens and virtual brands. And, and what we do for them is we produce fully white label apps, fully white label websites, uh, table ordering QR code solutions, and everything now we've even got the the large digital kiosk to place orders so it's it's bringing all of those components of uh digital restaurant commerce to all these different businesses and ultimately with that that end goal of helping them thrive online well you mentioned it there in terms of the kind of customer base um so it, it's, it's relatively broad but what does like the ideal flip dish customer look like is, is it starting to get more um enterprisey or is it still your sweet spot is um you know obviously an established food brand who wants to uh you know maybe and we'll talk about aggregators and delivery apps in a bit but like get a better relationship with their with their customer um by having a direct consumer channel to them yeah i mean i think one of the one of the joys of the the tool is it can really be as simple or as complex as you need it to be so if I look at our customer base in the UK, you know, we've got some incredible independent brands who will probably always be one site. Um, they'll always be really busy. They'll always be sold out, but they'll always be one site. Mm -hmm. We work really well for them, but then we're also working with some of the biggest franchises in the country. Um, so the product scales really well in that sense. And I think 
as the brand becomes more and more well known, particularly in the UK, you know, we've been here for about a year, uh, we're naturally having more and more discussions with that enterprise level customer. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the product works kind of across that spectrum, uh, but definitely coming across more and more interesting and I guess larger opportunities as we grow. Um, and, and internally then, like, t talk to me a little bit about like the Flipdish team, like how many, how many, how many people are there? Um, is, is it like tech heavy? Is it product heavy? Are you heavy on the growth side? Like what, yeah, what does the team kind of look like? And the team's growing ridiculously quickly. Uh, I think I saw a stat the other day, we've hired a hundred people this year. Oh, um, in 2021. Is... Yeah, which is Jesus. a mad, mad stat. And you think all of those people being onboarded remotely. Um, yeah, it's, you know, nobody is, is the new person uh, in the team for particularly long. Um, <laughs> so I guess the split of the team, um, you know, we're over about, I think, 220 people in the team broadly now. Um, we're in about 15 different countries, I think. We've definitely moved towards kind of a remote first way of hiring and working. Um, but I guess the UK team, um, we're split across three kind of uh, different functions. So we've got our sales team uh, who are spread out across the country. Uh, we've then got our onboarding team who help get our customers up and running with the, with the software. And then we've got our customer success team, you know, the account managers that help our customers grow with Flipdish. Um, so that's what it looks like in kind of the regions. And then uh, in head office, I guess that'd be that actually on the, on the ground in Dublin or actually, you know, they could be scattered anywhere in the world right now. Um, we've got a huge tech and product team and then some of the, you know, the central functions you'd expect, legal, HR, that yeah, kind of thing. Yep. 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 And, and just to sort of sidestep from that, like, yeah, to, how, how have you found the remote hiring? Like, is, has it been, uh, you know, buoyant job market, easy to get people? Has it been difficult? And then, yeah, what's it like been trying to get them on? Cause what, what, I'm, I'm in a very similar position and it's been, it's been far more difficult than what I probably envisaged. Yeah, I think you're right. It is difficult. I mean, we've been lucky. We, we've been able to hire some really good people. Um, I think like any uh, newer brands, you know, we don't have that huge employer brand. We don't have a queue of people around the corner saying, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I want to come work at this place. You, yeah. it, it's more of a two-way thing. Um, and I think that puts a lot of uh, responsibility on, you know, myself and others that are doing those interviews to make sure we are conveying the opportunity really well and getting people excited about that opportunity. Um, and the remote piece, yeah, it has its challenges, but you haven't got much choice. <laughs> um, you know, you've got to make it work. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's just the way it is. I think there's things you can do, right? You can, if you want to go and meet someone for a walk and a coffee, that's a really important thing to do. If you happen to be in the same yeah, location, yeah, yeah. Um, that can really help for, you know, it's very much a two-way thing. I think that can help the candidate and, and us hiring. Um, but yeah, it will be nice to get back to interviewing face to face. There's something about it that I think perhaps makes it easier for the candidate as well to really, um, you know, relax and, and put themselves forward as well. Yeah, I feel that um, you you never really get the essence of someone until you like meet them in real life, right? Like it's and, and that can be both from a you know like a, a pro and con perspective. You know, like you you don't sometimes you might not understand and get the their full value because you're not seeing them in person in terms of how they interact with other people as you're bringing them through the office and how, you know the sort of questions that they're asking i always find that those little moments like outside of the interview questions are really key to whether 
you know, you're, you've got the right person or not. Um, and it's really hard to, 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 to get that when you, you log on to a zoom call, well, boom, you, you're in, you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're straight into it, <laughs> straight into the questions and straight into the, like, you know, the, the interview itself. Yeah, you know, it, it can become so transactional and it's that reading between the lines, the gray areas where you actually get to know someone um, learn a bit about them, you know, what motivates them, that kind of stuff. Um, but we're all going to have to get better at it, right? It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's one yeah. Thing it's... saying we find it difficult. I guess it's a, there's probably a business opportunity there for someone to uh, work out how we do all this stuff remotely. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what, one of my sort of like, um, I suppose, strategies for like hiring has always been that, that obviously in-person thing, but has to, to take the individual away from the interview process, because that, that is, I, I assume, you know, once people get through to the round where you're, you're doing the pretty hardcore interviewing that they're, they're good at it. You know what I mean? They've gotten through the first couple of rounds. So it's like taking them out of that zone and yeah, going for a coffee with them and seeing how they interact with other people. And I mean, I mean, I'm in a sort of growth role and commercial role. So it's for a specific type of person, not necessarily on the tech side, but yeah, and 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 yeah, recreating that in in a virtual world is 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 challenging. Um, I'm wondering then, how does Flipdish? <laughs> we talked about it before. The food aggregators—that's a word I've learnt throughout this series. Food delivery apps. Um, how do you guys feel about them? I've got a bit of a thesis, so I'd like to put that forward to you and and tell me whether I'm on the right track or how you feel about it and. That is, given the world that I kind of come from, which is the, the Shopify world, uh, I look at kind of flip dish to the food delivery apps is, is similar in that what Shopify is to Amazon. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a nice analogy. Um, I think if you spoke to the constituents in both of those markets, they'd probably say similar things about uh things they love, things they find challenging. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it definitely works as an analogy. Um, you know, Shopify is definitely a, a business we look towards for a bit of inspiration. Um, and that, that trade-off between how they operate and how, how someone like Amazon operates as well. Um, yeah, I can definitely see the, the parallels. And if we were to dig into it a little bit further, um, what, what's the kind of value proposition of, of Flipdish versus uh, a delivery app? Because my, my understanding is the delivery apps, you know, you're paying quite a big fee to be in a huge <laughs> uh, market of so many different options. Whereas Flipdish, you, you know, it, it's, it's much more economically viable and you've got a direct relationship with your customer. Is, is that kind of how it works? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, let's, let's not be foolish here. The, the delivery apps, the aggregators, marketplaces, whatever you want to call them, they're part of the ecosystem and, you know, they're, they're going to be here for, for a long time. But I think uh, when I go out and speak to, to prospects, to customers, it really comes down to a, a few things, um, cost, control and, and customers. Uh, and when I say that, I mean, cost, if you're with a marketplace, you can be paying up to 35% commission. Uh, when you build in on your, all your other costs of running a hospitality business, um, that's not hugely viable. Uh, you know, over the last 12 months, nearly all food businesses will have seen their digital channel grow exponentially. Um, but if that continues to grow and becomes a larger share of your business and you're paying 35% commission on that line, um, your bottom line is really going to feel that, right? Mm -hmm. And that becomes, that becomes hugely challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and 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 the the data piece like it, my understanding is that there is i was talking to a um somebody i know who who uses um one of the delivery apps we won't name names but Ooh. i didn't quite understand like there is no there is no data you you don't really understand anything about the customers that are ordering from you is that is that right and then obviously with flip dishes that's a totally different scenario yeah, exactly. And that, that's the customer piece, you know, as soon as you as a business and any business, right, not just uh, food businesses, as soon as you hand over the custodianship of your customer to someone else, they're no longer your customer, right? You've worked so hard to get them, so hard to delight them, uh, give them everything they want and need. And then all of a sudden you're passing them on to someone else yep. and, and and they are then their, their customers. So, you know, boil that down to real terms. Uh, you're a pizza shop. If someone orders a pizza from you via a marketplace, they're a customer of the marketplace. They're not a customer of, of yours. Um, and everything that comes with that, you know, you lose all the data, all of the intelligent data that you can have on that customer on different buying patterns, mm -hmm. on, on ways to grow that customer yep. base, that cohort, you lose all of that. Um, and then there's the stuff where the marketplace can start to look at how they use that data and start to target different businesses towards what was your customer. And so I suppose to take a slightly broader lens, then how, how do you guys look, look at the, the delivery apps? Do you, is, it, is it competitor, collaborator, or is it, as you kind of said, that's just they're in the market space, they're there and you know, we, 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 we just carry on and, and um, focus on, on what you do? Yeah, it's definitely a bit of the latter. As I said, you know, they're always going to be there, I think. Um, for, for me, I think it's about ensuring the hospitality industry know that there is an alternative way to do things. Um, it's not all about the aggregators. There is an incredible opportunity to develop a direct consumer channel. And we've got customers who no longer even use the aggregators, right? That's the dream scenario. But I think it is um, hugely important that hospitality businesses start to develop that direct consumer channel now. And I've read a quote um, from Connor, um when he founders and he, he kind of uh, talked about a challenge for you guys being brand, brand awareness. And I think you kind of touched on it a little bit there, but my observation would be that I suppose not dissimilar to the Shopify world, right? Um, restaurants across the sort of spectrum, their thing is making really amazing food or you know like having a restaurant and like um having that experience where people come in and really enjoy it and obviously that isn't <laughs> so much a thing anymore so they're not maybe as um aware of what we're talking about here having a direct consumer relationship with with with, with their customers so how do you guys tackle this like how, how do you kind of like i suppose turn the tide you know increase brand awareness all that sort of stuff yeah, I think it's a challenge for a lot of businesses like ours. You know, we're inherently a white label business. So we do tend to, you know, sit behind things. We're not necessarily front and center. Um, but I think the biggest, the biggest growth opportunity for us from a brand perspective is harnessing that advocacy we have amongst our customers. Like I look at our MPS, uh, it's sky high. I look at our Trustpilot reviews and they're brilliant. Like it's genuinely amazing to see how much our customers value what we can do for them. And I think, you know, from a branding perspective, it's about getting them to tell our story. And I think that's, if you look at some of the best, um, I guess, SaaS businesses out there that kind of tap into similar spaces as us, that's what they've done. They've got their customers telling their story because that yeah. resonates with their customer base. They speak in the same way and they have the same problems, the same pain points. Um, 
So I think that's that's a massive opportunity from a branding point of view. And 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 is that something? Do you guys? Um, is that something that happens organically? Do you, do you foster that? Do you, do you sort of like build a, a more than the kind of like vendor partnership you've got with with some of your customers and and sort of bring them into your ecosystem and and help them uh, help them help you and you know advocate for the product. Yeah, definitely. I think I think one thing that uh, we've done really well is is invest in customer success. Um, and I think you know there's some businesses out there. You know they'll sell you a piece of software and then they'll be back in touch in 12 months' time when it's time to renew. Uh, that's something we wanted to avoid. So we've got a big customer success team and they work with our customers, with those advocates, um, and they're a great way for us to start to to harness that, to start to find our customers that are doing really well with Flipdish, uh, like what we're doing. And then we give them a platform to talk about that. Um, I think what's really interesting in the hospitality space is, you know, you will know this having had the conversations you've had. It's a really small world. Everyone knows everyone. Um, all of the restaurateurs, all of the operators know one another, mm -hmm. be that through having worked together, through community lines, whatever it is. It's a small world. So if you can get customers talking about you, um, that's so powerful. And just... Um, focusing on that customer customer success piece because i think that's really interesting i've got a couple of questions on that so one can you just explain that to me a little bit more so my understanding is that's uh you've got kind of a, a sort of managed services component to this where you will help businesses grow digitally right so that could be through social through paid obviously getting the best use out of the flip dish um product is is, is that what you're talking about when you say customer success yeah, so we've got a team who, you know, you, you sign up with Flipdish um, and you get assigned a customer success manager. So let's call them an account manager. Um, and they will sit down with you and say, right, where do you want to be in six months time in terms of your online presence with Flipdish? And their sole goal is to ensure that you get the most from the platform to get you to that point. Mm -hmm. And there's loads of different levers they can pull. Um, there's the stuff we have within the platform. So we've got loyalty campaigns, retention yep. campaigns, um, understanding how to optimize your push notifications, understanding how to carve out cohorts of your most loyal customers and target them specifically around certain events or, or uh, times of the year when you know that those will be successful. And then we've got additional services as well. So you mentioned it there. Um, it's offering, we, we basically have a managed marketing service yep. where you can partner. We've got basically an in-house marketing consultancy. Um, again, you sit down with them. They understand the market that you're operating in. Uh, the opportunities that you've got there and they'll put together a, a digital marketing package for you. Uh, that's super smart. And with, I'm, I'm, I'm so intrigued by that component, um, the kind of services product mashup, which is really interesting. Like, was that always part of the plan or is that sort of happened organically? You know, have you, did you have customers kind of coming and saying, Oh, you know, products great. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting as much traction across other channels, you know, can you guys help with that? Or was it already built into the kind of like original sort of trajectory? I think it was always an idea, but then you start speaking to restaurateurs and you realize that their, their exceptional talent is being a restaurateur. Yeah. Uh, it's not a digital marketer, right? <laughs> so there, there's a gap there. There's an opportunity. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And if you are, a, a restaurant in Dalston, there's going to be a Nando's, a McDonald's, uh, whoever, a KFC, who have got a massive digital marketing agency uh, in-house, you know, spending a whole 
ton of money on this stuff. And, you know, we realized that if we can help some of the smaller businesses, um, basically start to start to compete in that arena, that's something they really value. Yeah. 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 Total no brainer. I totally agree. I think like, you know, key sort of tenant of, of, of good businesses to stick to stick to what you're really good at and really, really honing in on it. And I think that, yeah, as, as a food business, I would like the idea that I can kind of outsource that or work with a partner who's got like a real understanding of, of that piece. I suppose though, is there, is there a bit of a, a change? I imagine that sort of newer maybe food businesses are a bit more digitally savvy. And so it, it's kind of like, um, that can kind of help them in that space. Yeah, definitely. You know, we're seeing a, a different type of restaurateur, I guess. Perhaps it's just a younger, maybe it's they've inherited the family business and they are just more digitally savvy. Um, but I think that actually works in our favor because they, they understand they need to do this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, exactly. and perhaps it's just they don't have the hours in the day, right? If yeah. you're running a restaurant, it is full on. And to, to find three hours to put together a hugely optimized digital marketing strategy, uh, it's probably not going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that plays into our favor. Um, the, the, the modern restaurateur understands how important digital is um, and we can hopefully help them do that. Yeah, totally. I see so many parallels in like the sort of like digital agency world that, that sort of I, I come from in that like the, the more digitally savvy um client it, it, it's an easier start to the relationship because we just get it you know what i mean you're, you're already talking the same language um and then yeah what one could argue well what do, what do they need us for they're digitally savvy they know how you know all of the kind of like latest and greatest e-com tech works but yeah one time and then two you know kind of the, the advantage of the agency and i imagine similar to you guys with your managed services marketing arm is they're getting insights and um you know knowledge from a broad set of, of of other clients you know which they would never get themselves unless they go and you know do do loads of research so yeah i think that that's an interesting concept and um yeah the more digitally savvy ones it, it, you know it's 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 it, it, it's a very good partnership um so i suppose related to that then what's the process for like product and services development like talk me through that so I think it's really just being as close to our customers and as close to the industry as we can be um, and trying to work out where that next massive pain point for the industry is. Um, table ordering is a great example for that. Mm -hmm. You know, the QR code table ordering, that was a huge problem almost overnight for the industry. So we had to move quick on that kind of stuff. So it's finding out what the next one of those is going to be. Um, and then, yeah, just listening to our customer base, I think, finding out it doesn't have to be this huge bells and whistles launch of a new product. It can be tweaking small things. It can have such a huge impact on the day-to-day -day operations of, of a hospitality operator. So yeah, I think it's, it all has to be driven by the customers because they're the ones living and breathing this uh, day in, day out. And was it, were we talking about it before? Did you, was there something that you'd had that wasn't necessarily got the traction and then because of COVID it, it like became really popular? I guess table ordering is a is an interesting one there. Um, we've always had the technology and we've had some great customers using it. But then all of a sudden, if the government decides, you know, <laughs> as of as of Monday, whenever it was, uh, table ordering is now compulsory. Yeah. 
that's kind of a, a, an interesting opportunity for us with that product, right? All of a sudden it is, there's a massive need for it, not just a, okay, I can see the benefits of that, you know, uh, operationally it's better, you can increase the average order value, uh, increase table turnover. They're all the things in, I guess, peacetime, which help us sell it. But where we found ourselves where it was like, ah, okay, Monday, we have to launch this thing. Um, luckily we had it ready to go. Um, and it was just about rolling it out as quickly as possible. So yeah, some late nights getting that rolled yeah, out yeah, with bet, about two I'll days bet. notice. Yeah. Yeah. QA has to happen Sunday evening. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Roll it out Monday. <laughs> nice. Um, so I know you, you we, we kind of talked about it before, but you, you know, you work with a broad spectrum of, of, of customers um, and, and, and many of which are in the kind of, I don't, I don't know how you describe it, but the, the bigger space, you know, more enterprisey, I suppose, can, as opposed to um, uh, customers that might have uh, a, a smaller footprint in terms of their sort of restaurant presence. And one of those is um, a big supermarket in, in, in uh, the Republic of Ireland called Dunn's um which side top or sidestep the the dun store um in uh it's not far from where you're from originally just off the n11 in dublin there is like the nicest supermarket i've ever been to it's so, cool. <laughs> it's so good it's so good um you were doing some work with them like to offer click and collect and i'm i'm wondering like when you get to that kind of those bigger sort of uh customers is is it a more modular approach and are you is that how you kind of work with them it's like yeah you it's 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 we can build you or we can work with you on uh, in any way that they want and and is that something that you you you'll do more of or you stick more to the kind of standard this is how the product works uh, i think that is a trade-off that every SaaS company in the world has right um how much can you how much do you keep things kind of cookie cutter versus going bespoke um but for us, I think it's weighing it up and looking at the opportunities. So the work we're doing with Duns is brilliant. Um, our software is working really, really well for them. It's allowed us to, to take a step into a slightly different vertical with the grocery delivery space, which yep. is, as I'm sure you've seen, pretty buzzy at the moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we're working with uh, a few other clients as well, some, you know, some big retailers. So it's really for us just looking at the opportunity. Um, I think if you've gone back six months, no one was talking about rapid grocery delivery and now every time you open TechCrunch, another company is worth x billion dollars because they can do it in nine minutes rather than 10 minutes yeah, so yeah, i yeah. think um you know these opportunities are going to continue to come up and it's just where's that opportunity for us with with the software we've got so yeah the, the stuff with duns is going great it's opened some more opportunities in in um grocery and retail so the, the more the more of those opportunities you can get the better i think I want to switch gears just slightly. Um, and I know uh, you guys have um, recently closed quite a big round, uh, I believe in the 40 million euros or pounds mark. Uh, how, what does that look like? Like how is the investment be kind of like activated? Sure, yeah. So we, we closed that uh, a few months back now. Um, how are we going to use that? Well, you know, we've hired a hundred people this year. <laughs> uh, so so we've got to pay for that um but yeah i think that there's massive investment in in people um and then huge investment in products as well and that is the, the product piece is twofold it is just making what we've got even better and then as we've discussed so much you know this opportunity what's coming next what's the next big thing um we're investing massively in our kiosks 
So these are the, the big digital screens you'll see in the likes of McDonald's. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But we are making them accessible to a much, much wider market. Um, there's absolutely no reason in my eyes why they shouldn't be commonplace in in QSRs and restaurants up and down the country. And we've got some really exciting stuff coming down the pipe uh, for our kiosk business. So yeah, I think it's it's people, it's scaling up, making sure we're in a position to scale rapidly over the next three years, and then really doubling down on, on our product. And I suppose continuing the theme of reflection, um, what were your sort of key learnings from, from last year? Whew. Uh, it's quite a year, wasn't it? Um, so I think reflections, uh, there's definitely something about moving quick. Um, and that can be, I guess, understood in many, many different ways. One is things can change very quickly. Um, things can look pretty rosy and all of a sudden then they don't, um, rules and regulations, stuff outside of your control can change very quickly, but have a pretty profound impact on your business. And you need to make sure you're able to react, be that to keep the lights on or be that to pounce on that massive opportunity that's just gonna send growth skyrocketing. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's that kind of scrappy startup back to basics, make sure you're able to move quickly. Um, and I think then if you can do that, you'll be in a pretty good spot. And, what, and how do you think you, can make that happen is it is it like is that a cultural thing is that like you know it, you know having the ability to um i suppose internally have freedoms to to go for the opportunities um like yeah does that come from the, the sort of company what you know one, one is yeah i think so absolutely i think it is ensuring that everyone has that autonomy to do what they think is best for the company um, and that ownership and responsibility that comes with that. So to do the right thing. Um, and then it's just having a, I guess, a management level all the way up to the founders who, who encourage that um, and, and make sure that, you know, we focus on the, the things that we can get right and that can make a massive difference, not the potential things that can go wrong. And to take the slightly uh, opposing view, and if we were to look forward, <laughs> I'd be keen to understand, like you, you guys and you, you personally are obviously on the coalface of some really interesting and rapid development, right? Um, particularly in the direct consumer space. So like w you talk about the kiosk concept and, and, and that being rolled out and you guys are, are you know, focusing on that. But what, what do you see as kind of predictions in the sort of direct consumer food space for the rest of this year and into next? So I think, I guess at a headline level, there's going to be massive growth. Um, I think next year is going to be such an important year for hospitality, um, you know, to bounce back from the 12, now looking like 18 months that it's had to kind of innovate its way through. So I think direct consumer, as people understand it more, is definitely going to grow. I think you mentioned the kiosks there, massively interesting one for us. You know, we, we sat down back in the early days of COVID uh, with this great kiosk product we've got thinking hang on the kiosk inherently needs people to touch this screen post-covid are people going to want to touch stuff um, you know and it's it's that tiny thing that can make or break this product um what we've found is uh appetite for kiosks is is going through the roof it's one of our most popular products at the moment and that that fear that people perhaps wouldn't want to touch a kiosk screen 
hasn't come to fruition. But yeah, I think our core product will continue to do really well. Uh, there's massive appetite for it, but it, it's that innovation piece. You know, it's going to, at the moment, it's kiosk. What's, what's the next thing? Um, and I think hospitality is going to be pretty mad next year. And there'll definitely be some really exciting opportunities. And how are you guys thinking about it? I'm always intrigued, like, you know, broadly thinking about companies who are in a, uh, a particularly a growth market. Um, are you spending a lot of time thinking beyond kind of six to 12 months? Or is, are things changing so rapidly that that's kind of difficult? So your horizon is, is relatively short. I guess you probably get two different answers. We spoke to, to James and Connor, our founders. Yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely part of their role to have one view on where we're going to be in three years. And yeah. that definitely filters down. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in my role, I definitely have a slightly shorter term view. Um, and it's, it's back to that point about being able to move quickly, being reactive yeah. To, yeah. to opportunities and problems. So, yeah, I'm probably looking 12 months ahead. James and Connor are probably looking 12 months, but also three years ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think it's probably about getting that balance. Um, and you, you mentioned it before. Um, you guys have uh, sort of started from, from from Dublin. You're an Irish company originally, um, but you've got you know a, a global presence. And I wonder, without us getting too sucked into like Brexit and stuff like that, but like how how has that kind of played out? Has that been a big because that was a massive topic before 2020. Is that kind of just in the back of your minds now? That's it. Well, you know, we've moved on for that. Or is that still like a, a an issue? Or you know, or, or is it is it kind of you've you've you're working through it? Yeah, I think with uh, with COVID, kind of forgotten Brexit happened. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Bring I think Brexit, yeah, yeah, exactly. Got a whole podcast on that. Um, <laughs> but no, I don't think. Uh, the impact hasn't been significant at all. You know, we've had to make some minor changes internally, um, but, you know, kind of logistics things around some of our hardware and stuff we provide to customers, but no, really hasn't had a big impact on us. And I think, you know, we've just got to focus on what we can control and, and yeah. Brexit, is, Brexit is definitely not one of the things we can control. You mentioned it before that um, Shopify is, is kind of like a, 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 a brand that you guys look to um for inspiration is is there anyone else who do you guys do you guys look at when you're you know um thinking about the wider market or you know wider SaaS ecosystem yeah i think you know shopify is the obvious one there's so many uh comparisons that can be made between what we're doing for, for customers and what and what they do um there's some others as well in that kind of broader ecosystem. You look at some of these these businesses that have scaled so quickly, you know, Stripe's another one that, that mm. springs to mind. You know, they've yep. just, their product market fit is astounding and they've just scaled so rapidly. Um, some of the other people in, in some of the other payment providers and stuff like that that scale properly. Um, and there's even stuff we can learn from some of the, the consumer facing brands as well, because there's definitely a, a segment of our customer base that, sometimes behaves more like B2C than B2B. Um, mm. You know, you think if you're selling to a local takeaway owner, uh, that's very different to selling to the CIO of a Fortune 500 company, yep. right? So it has characteristics that play into the hands of B2C. So yeah, we don't necessarily refer to specific companies, but I guess everyone individually has has things that they pick up off, off different companies that they come across. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting concept in the kind of, traditional SaaS world of um you know 
especially the marketing piece of like, you know, is it B2B? Is it D2C? There's kind of this weird mixture of both. I think Klarna are a pretty good example of their outward presence is um, very direct consumer, <laughs> even though they're, they're, you know, for all intents and purposes, a, a B2B, you know, vendor, you know, um, and they're getting to that point where it's like, you know, it's part of the vernacular, you know, I, I assume people say I'm going to clan or something, you know, it's getting to that point. So I, I think that that's, it, it's a really interesting space and there's a lot of movement in that SaaS um, brand world. Um, I'm keen to sort of like sort of discuss and, 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 and talk about you a little bit as opposed to, to flip dish. Um, what's the, the best decision you made and what's maybe not the best decision you've made? Ooh, um, best decision, I think probably leaving the, the corporate world, the, 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 the banking kind of industry that I got into straight out of uni. Um, that's not said I didn't like it. I actually really enjoyed it, but I think, um, the opportunities and the experience that it's opened up moving into kind of high paced startups, that kind of world, uh, is where I've really kind of found my feet, something I really enjoy doing. Um, Sunday blues certainly don't happen anymore and they, they perhaps did then. So that, that's definitely got to be a win. Um, and regret, um, I guess I look back at my, my uni degree. Uh, so I ended up studying politics and history and I loved my time at uni, met all my best friends, that kind of stuff. But I'm not sure what politics and history taught me about what I do now. So maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe I'd have a rethink then when you look at uh, how much these things cost and um, <laughs> yeah. what, what you actually learned from it. I'm not sure how much uh, history I do in my day-to-day -day role. Well, I, yeah, okay. Well, that, that, that brings me to another question and maybe that's a point in time you, you would choose. But yeah, what advice would you have given you to yourself then? Is there a course or something, some change in direction you would suggest having had the, the benefit of time? Um, I don't know. I think that, that period of your life is a great time to try and start a business. Um, you know, you've got hopefully very little responsibility. Mm. You kind of just have to look after yourself. Um, so maybe that's a good time to give entrepreneurship a, a go. Um, cause you know, you've got time on your side, you can take two years out and then still go down the uni track if you want, or, or try something different. Um, so yeah, I always try and think of, you know, when you're making big decisions like that, like boil it down to what's the worst possible thing that could happen. Um, and if you can take that, it's not easy to do, but take that emotion out of it, that <laughs> yeah. kind of yeah. strip away that anxiety, yeah. the worst possible thing that can happen often isn't really that bad. Yeah. Um, so I try and remind myself of that, I guess. I think that's a really interesting strategy. I've been employing that recently. Like, and I think that, that can apply to a lot of things. Um, I suppose it, it, it there's, depends how, anxious one is <laughs> because if you're an incredibly anxious person then you might be using that method too much but i think it is a good a good way of looking at stuff in that yeah what what's the worst that could happen okay whatever that happens to be okay yep i, I boiled it down to that and yeah i i think i could i could deal with that and, and work around it so yeah then that's a good um, way to get around those sorts of things exactly and that's the very worst right it's often not it's not, it doesn't often get that bad so. no exactly yeah 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 well yeah exactly um it's something i ask most people um and it's not what does a typical day look like because i think there's just not such thing but what does your ideal day look like are you early riser are you 
burning the candle late. Talk me through it. So yeah, I'm definitely an early riser. Um, even though I don't want to be one of those people which wakes up and then just, you know, mind starts racing. Whereas at the other end, I'll, I'll fall asleep very quickly. So um, yeah, definitely an early riser. Um, perfect day. Definitely have to get some exercise in there. Um, early in the morning kind of keeps me sane. It's definitely my thinking time and definitely feel a lot better and, and probably nicer to be around if I have done that exercise. Um, <laughs> All right, what, what are we talking? Are we, are we running, uh, gym, you know, or is it whatever, just so long as the, you know, get the BPM over 160? <laughs> uh, running would be, be my go-to, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, a nice run to start the day um, would be my preference. Then there's a lot of food involved in my perfect day, I think. Um, so I'll probably base it around some meals, seeing some friends, um, a pub in the afternoon. I love sport, so if I can squeeze in some live sport, which feels like a bit of a distant memory, um, some live sport, some friends, and then probably find a nice pub somewhere for the evening. Um, and yeah, that would be, be a pretty nice day, I think. All right. Okay. Well, we're, we're close, aren't we? You know, the, 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 the full... Um option there has been moved out a few weeks but it sounds like it's 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 tantalizingly close um i think we'll need to sort of start to bring it to a close um a couple of final questions so getting back to foot dish then i i'm keen to understand what what you know what what does what does foot dish look like in 2022 um I guess what does our industry look like? And when I say industry, I mean hospitality. Hospitality, I, you know, I have such high hopes that it's going to be a booming year for hospitality after everything that the industry's gone through. And I think Flip Dish, it's just incumbent on us to, to ensure that we're at the forefront of that and, and continuing to support and innovate for the restaurants that we work with. And then the final question you kind of touched on it before already. So I'm posing this to all of my food and drink guests because that's what the series is about. Um, you can either cook them. It's your last supper. Sorry, that's that's the first one. It's the last supper. <laughs> um, for what reason can be, yep, there are many, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that you've, got a, you've got a choice. You can either uh, cook a meal or you can go out. Um, what are you going to do? And then what's on the menu? Uh, I would probably go out um just because i always find if you cook you, you spend your whole evening cooking you're not actually talking to anyone as yes. much as i like it that is uh, that's the downside so yeah I'd, I'd be heading out um and then i guess i'm, I'm going all three courses definitely uh yeah. so you can choose a restaurant so it could be like i'm just going to go here because this is my favorite restaurant or you know you could you could it, it's a restaurant of your dreams off menu type concept yeah, it's going to be a bit of a weird hypothetical restaurant, I think. Okay, it's fine. probably going to be like on a beach somewhere, but then serving food that doesn't necessarily correlate with that. Um, that's you know, totally this... fine. It's so funny. Most people have gone to that. So it's interesting and probably reflective of the time that we're in. Instead of saying, I'm going to go here, it's always been, I'm on a beach or I'm in the south of France or whatever. So this is good. Yeah, talk me through it. Okay, so we're on a beach somewhere. Yeah, I'm on a beach. Um, it's definitely a long lunch reservation. Um probably starting with oh, maybe some kind of carpaccio or tuna tartare, something like that. Um, and then Maine, we're probably going to go kind of counter to the wonderful setting we're in and some really rich, slow cooked beef shin ragu or something like that. Yep. yep. Um, 
which I don't know. I don't know if, if that really goes with the uh, 30 degree heat on the beach, but we taste it. doesn't matter. We've got some fans. Uh, don't worry. Yeah. And then to finish, it would be a toss up between something just really chocolatey or like an affogato, I think, something like that. Sounds sounds delicious, mate. I think that's a great way to end the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, mate. That was great. No, thanks for having me. Really good. There you go. Massive thank you to Fionn for joining me. You can check Flipdish out at flipdish.com. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do the same. I'll see you next time.